1: So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Had to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20 to get 20, 20 you get 15, 15, 15, 15 just 15 bucks a month. Sold. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch.
2: $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear. you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
4: Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, October 7th. Last week around this time, we unveiled the BOF 500 class of 2022. The next day, we held our annual gala during Paris Fashion Week, and one of our highlights was having some of our cover stars attend from all over the world. There was Vivi Yusof from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, Paloma El Sasser from New York in the United States. Benoit Pagotto and Simon Porte jacquemus from Paris, Kabi Lame from Milan, and Deepika Padukone from Mumbai, India. They attended along with hundreds of BOF 500 members and industry supporters, which made last Saturday night a very special moment for community and connection in the middle of a very busy Paris Fashion Week. For the BOF 500, I was lucky to have a global exclusive interview with Deepika for her cover story, She was extremely generous with her time and candid with her thoughts and feelings. And that always makes for the best interviews. And so afterwards I thought it would really make for a great podcast too, to go a little bit deeper into the 90 minute conversation I had with her, all of which didn't make it into our cover story. India is set to become the world's third largest fashion market. And Deepika, who is Bollywood's most popular female actor, has become a global brand ambassador for the likes of Levi's, Adidas, Louis Vuitton, and now Cartier. She opens up about her global ambitions and what the fashion world needs to understand about India and the wider South Asian diaspora. Conversation was particularly meaningful to me as my own personal history is interwoven with the migration of the Indian diaspora across four continents, from Mumbai, where my maternal grandfather was born, to Kenya and Tanzania, where my parents were born, to Canada, where I was raised, and to London, which I now call home, back to Mumbai, where we shot this beautiful cover story with Deepika. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here's Deepika Padukone on the BOF podcast. Hello, Deepika. It is an absolute pleasure to connect with you for this story. I am so excited to have you part of our new Group of BOF 500 covers of people shaping the global fashion industry. But I know from your life and your story that you come from very, very far away from the fashion industry. And so before I even get into your connection to fashion, I want to start with you as a person. And I want you to imagine you're at a dinner party. And it's not like a fancy dinner party. It's a dinner party, maybe in the place where it's not like one of those seated dinners, like some friends invite you over somewhere and the people sitting next to you don't know anything about you. They don't know about Bollywood. They don't know about your 30 films. They don't know all about the awards and the constant media coverage. They're just sitting next to you as a human being. Like, how do you introduce yourself to someone like that? And who you are, you know, that that small chat conversation when you look to your left and right at a dinner and you're trying to understand who the other person is and they're trying to understand who you are.
5: Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me as part of BOF 500. It's a huge, huge honor and something I just didn't expect. And second, what you just described is my biggest nightmare.
4: Oh, really? Why
5: is that? Because At the root of it all, right, I am an extremely shy and awkward person. And so I'm usually very awkward at places where I don't know people or I'm not with people who I'm already familiar with. And apart from saying, hi, my name is Deepika and I'm from India, That's all my contribution to this conversation is. And I really hope in these situations that I'm sitting next to people who are talkative and interesting because I'm a curious person. So I love asking questions about people and knowing about them and especially people who I've never met before. And I love being in these situations where people don't know who I am because there's no preconceived notions or ideas of, who I am or what I do or where I'm from. And I can just be me. And then I think after a point, I kind of ease into it. But initially I'm very guarded because at the core of it all, I'm an awkward and shy person.
4: Were you always awkward and shy growing up? Tell me about Deepika Padukone as a child growing up in Bangalore.
5: It doesn't add up, right? Because while I'm shy and awkward. I was also a brat and a bully in school because I was tall and I thought being tall meant I just had this sort of authority over all the other girls in my class. But it came from a good place. It never came from like a bad place. It was just maybe my form of showing love.
4: Bullying is a strong word.
5: In certain cultures, bullying can be perceived as an extreme And I want to clarify that it's not that extreme. It comes from a place of love. For example, my best friend, Srila, and she's going to laugh when she listens to this. Her first tooth fell. Or yeah, like we were, I can't remember how old we were. And one of her tooth fell. And she came over one evening after school with that tooth in a box, in a Ganesha box, in like this religious box. So she put her tooth in that to come and show it to me. And the OCD in me was like, you can't go around showing people this tooth, we have to wash it. And she said, No, don't wash it. Because if you wash it, there's a possibility that it's going to go down the drain, you're going to drop it and it's going to go down the drain. And I was like, No, I'm older than you, which I wasn't. And I didn't know at that point, she's six months older than me. But I said, Listen, I'm older than you. And you have to listen to me. And I took this tooth and took it to the bathroom and started washing it. And lo and behold, I dropped it and it fell. Oh no. We lost the tooth, you know, and she started crying. And it's just sort of those kind of things where I always felt like I knew better or like everyone had to listen to me or just silly things like that.
4: Yeah, so you know what, the way I would call that, and I can relate to this because I was the same way, is maybe you were a bit bossy. You always thought you had the right answer and you were directing everyone around?
5: Yes. Okay. Bossy then.
4: Yeah. Okay. So I can definitely relate to that. I've been working on my bossiness my whole life. (laughs) But where do you think that came from, Deepika? Was your height, were you always the tallest person?
5: No, I wasn't. And this is why when we were chatting earlier this week and you mentioned Anila Anand, Anila Anand's daughter was the only one person who was taller than me in class. And so every time we stood in the assembly line, I was second last and Kavya Anand would stand behind me and she was the tallest person. So I was the second tallest. But no, I also feel like like even if you speak to my parents today, they'll say you never found Dipika at ground level. She was always, I was a tomboy, very naughty, always sort of jumping up tables and sofas and dropping things and Even my sister says this. She's like, not enough people know this clumsy side to you. Everyone thinks of you as this like elegant and proper and poised, which I am. That's also me. And that comes to me very naturally. But there is this other side to me that's just unintentionally clumsy.
4: I want to dig in a bit more into this kind of contradiction of those two sides of you, because on the one hand, you're saying you're shy and awkward. And on the other hand, you're saying... You can be bossy and kind of the know-it-all in the room. You know, what do you think it is that makes you shy and awkward around new people? You know, at that nightmare scenario that you said where you're Deepika from India.
5: I think it comes from my father because he's like that. And my parents are the polar opposite of each other. So my mother was born in Mumbai, brought up in Mumbai and extremely Social and outgoing, and loved traveling alone, making new friends, discovering. And my father, on the other hand, came from this extremely conservative middle class family in Bangalore. Also, not just the family, but even the community that I come from, which is we're Mangalorean and we are specifically a community called Chitrapur Saraswats. I noticed that whenever we have these sort of gatherings, and it's not to say that you have the lot of people who are expressive. and But as a community, we're just more quiet and reserved and shy. And I don't have a definite answer to this, but maybe it comes from all of that. So a little bit of my culture, a little bit of my community, and a little bit of my father. Having said that, I feel like over the years, I am today a mix of both of my parents. And, you know, there is a side of me that enjoys traveling. There is a side of me that loves discovering But yes, I'd say a little bit of both of them at this point.
4: The other thing I I just want to dig into there, like you're sitting next to this person at dinner and you're saying, I'm Deepika from India. Tell me about the from India bit. I mean, you, you didn't say I'm Deepika, an actress. You said I'm Deepika from India. What does being from India mean to you in terms of your identity and the way you would introduce yourself to someone?
5: I don't know what it is over the years that, you know, it's just something I am so proud of. And in that moment, when I say that, and when I think back, and it happened recently, when I was at the Cannes Film Festival, having to introduce myself multiple times. And when I zero in on that moment, I can actually visualize me saying that with a lot of pride. But I just feel like in the way that I've been brought up, I'm just extremely proud of the diversity, the culture, the color, the experiences. I just feel like India has so much to offer. And I've been able to do everything that I do, just being Indian and being based out of here. And, you know, even as a little girl, I always wondered, why do I have to be somewhere else to do that? Why can't I be here and still be as successful? or still be able to bring about change or make a difference. Again, if you ask me that one definite specific moment, I don't know. Maybe it's to do with the fact that my father was the first Indian to put India on the world map as far as badminton was concerned. Maybe subconsciously, maybe that's a thing. Maybe growing up and realizing that when I wear a sari on a red carpet Globally, that's something that really stands out and that's unique. And I'm so glad I stood my ground and did what I have to do, even if it means it's taken longer. But I've done it on my own terms and in a way that feels authentic to me and to who I am. You've been to India, and so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Every state is a country. The colors change, the language changes, the culture changes, food changes. So, India's many countries within a country and so rich in culture and heritage truly sets us apart from every other country that I've been to, at least I believe so.
4: I got chills when you said that because I think what a lot of people in the West don't understand about India is just the sheer diversity and richness and we can often be pigeonholed into a certain stereotype of what an Indian person is. And I think what's really powerful about this moment in the world, powerful about this moment in India's history and powerful about you as an individual is about what we can share with the world about what India is really about.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it would upset me every time I went to the US and I don't even think people are... Forget Think. I know for a fact that they aren't doing it intentionally, but some of the things that are said and some of the things that are done are just so, so obvious to the fact that people don't know a world outside of the world that they live in. And that's when you realize when people say travel, have different experiences, explore. I feel all of these things really enrich you as a person in your experiences and make you realize that there is a world outside the world that you're actually living in.
4: You said that things that are said sometimes are, what do you mean with respect to India specifically? Do you have an example? What do you think people don't understand?
5: I'm not naming people, but I remember, I know this actor and I remember him saying to me, I met him at this Vanity Fair party once some years ago when I just began my global journey. And he said, hey, by the way, you speak English really well. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't even realize what that meant in that moment. And when I came back, I said, what did he mean? You speak English really well. Now, again, that's not reflective of me being me or me being from India, but did he have this notion that we don't speak English? Or And then there's the usual, the classic one, which is, I believe you guys go to school on an elephant.
4: People actually say that to you?
5: Yes. It has been said to me about 10 years ago where people really thought that we went to school. Is it true that you guys go to school on an elephant? So I've experienced all of this. And and obviously being an actor, the most obvious one being the way you are cast in movies, right? You are the scientist. You are the computer geek. You are the taxi driver. You are the therapist.
4: You are the convenience store owner?
5: Owner of a convenience store. So it's all of these sort of typical, and I've had my fans ask me why I've not done more movies, but that's not what I'm settling for because I am and we are so much more than that.
4: I love that. Thank you for sharing that with me. Like, that's why I'm so proud to have you on this cover, Deepika, because for me, you're representing people that you know, I come from these people as well. And I think that 1.4 billion people live in India. Yes. One of the fastest growing major economies in the world. Yes. Rich with culture and heritage and craftsmanship and just incredible stuff that is so misunderstood or not even like acknowledged. But we'll get to all of that in a minute. Let's go back to childhood because you mentioned your dad was this professional athlete And you actually, if I understand correctly, you have a lot of athletes in your family. You know, you're gifted with this kind of skill. You were also a professional athlete. Tell me about that.
5: So something I'm eternally grateful for, the fact that I had this experience as a professional athlete and something that I think about more and more today, it was a natural progression. My father was a badminton player. As he began his retirement journey, he set up probably the first badminton academy in the world which was to basically scout for talent in India and prepare them for the global stage. And by default, what started off as just recreational in the evenings after school, because I went to a typical convent school where we didn't have very many extracurricular activities and schools today in India are very, very different. But at the time, and so come back from school, grab a snack and then go to the club and play some badminton. And even before I knew it, I'd started playing professional badminton.
4: And this is the age of what?
5: I mean, badminton, like from the time I could walk and hold a badminton racket, like just recreationally. And then professionally, I mean, I played under 11. So definitely I was less than 11. I must have been what, 8, 9, 10, 11, up until I was 16. I took a break for my board exams, realized that playing sport professionally is not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. But in the years that I played, that's what made me think independently. I traveled alone. I had to fend for myself in various situations, traveled with the team, traveled by bus, traveled by train. And when you say travel by local bus or local train in India, it's very different from saying that if you're, say, New York or in London staying in dormitories that were attached to publicly owned stadiums where the facilities at the time weren't the best. They still aren't the best in the world, though I think it's improved drastically from the time I played professional sport. I don't think I'd be the person today if I hadn't been a professional athlete and I hadn't had those experiences, you know, traveling alone when you're 13 with other players and their parents and The fact that my parents trusted me, they trusted that I could take care of myself, you know, and they allowed me to have those experiences. So even today, I'm not defined by the home that I live in or the money that I make because I've started right at the bottom. And so, you know, strip all of this away from me and I'll be absolutely fine. And that's also how I've been able to work my way up in this industry where I came from another city into a city that's so much like New York in a way where everyone's so aggressive. You know, you have to be a certain way to be able to survive. Everyone is trying to make ends meet. And so as a young 16, 17-year-old girl, when you come into a city like Bombay, you really have to work your way up. I would travel by taxi. I was a model, finished shows late night. And most of my money would go in sort of commuting from one place to another. So yeah, I think being able to do all of that came from the fact that just my life as an athlete prepared me for so much. Even today, to be able to handle success, to be able to handle failure, to be able to handle competition, to be able to handle different difficult situations, all of that has come from the fact that I was an athlete in my previous life.
4: Okay. So you knew at some point you didn't want to be an athlete, right? I want to show you a picture, some pictures. I found these in my personal archive of photos. Oh, no. (laughs) You know what's crazy? Apple has this thing where like it recognizes people's faces. So like from that event that we did in Mumbai a few years ago, I obviously had saved and it found these photos during lockdown.
5: Is it saved as alien? Because I look like one.
4: No, I organized all my photos that were all on all these like separate hard drives. And like was one of my lockdown projects when I just had nothing to do. And I up popped these photos. So I was sitting there in the front row at India Fashion Week, clearly taking these photos. And I think they're from 2006?
5: Yeah, probably even before because my debut film released in 2007, which means we were filming in 2007. This must have been 2005 or something.
4: Okay, very possibly. How do you go from being professional athlete, badminton player on the track to like probably a quite successful career to walking, as they call it in India, the ramp at India Fashion Week. Like, how does that happen?
5: This was my dream.
4: Being a model.
5: Yeah, being a model was my dream. Like, I would watch Miss India. So being an athlete, I didn't watch TV growing up, which is completely the opposite of my husband and his life growing up. I didn't watch any TV. The only TV I watched or got to watch or was interested in watching was once a year when Miss India happened and when Miss India was crowned for like Miss India World, Miss India Universe and Miss India Asia Pacific. And then when the actual like these big competitions happened, that's the only thing I was interested in watching. And the only other form of entertainment for me was like literally one or two movies in a year at a cinema hall. That's it you know, I'd watch all these fashion shows or watch all these fashion shows and feel like, wow, I I felt like that's where I belonged or that's what I wanted to do. And when I think back, actually, even when I think now, I feel like whatever it was that gave me that clarity, I'm so grateful for that because I, I feel like there's a whole bunch of people today who are so confused about, and maybe in a good way, you know, so confused about, What they want to do because the options today are so many, and you do something for one year and then that's probably great for them. I don't think I'd be able to survive that, right? And I think what worked for me and what I truly appreciate is the fact that I always had this clarity as a young girl that when I grow up, this is what I want to do. So much so that I didn't even take my studies seriously. I was like, This, whatever textbook stuff you're showing me and you're teaching me, and like in a class of 40 people, what am I going to learn from this? What am I going to take forward? None of the physics, none of the chemistry, none of that. And so I always knew that being a model, I had that clarity. And that somewhere that journey would lead me to becoming an actor. I don't know how I had that clarity, to be honest.
4: Really? Wow. And it's not like you come from a family. You know, so many actors in India, as you and I know, Actually, in so many professions, in so many families, people follow in the path of their parents, Mm -hmm. the sons and daughters of doctors become doctors, the sons and daughters of pharmacists become pharmacists, the sons and daughters of Bollywood actors often become Bollywood actors. But you were the daughter of parents who had no connection to this industry. And yet you had the clarity that that's where you might end up. And you did.
5: I just knew it. The strange part is that even when I played professional badminton, I knew that that was transient and that eventually I'd be walking the ramp. It's bizarre.
4: Do you believe in visualization?
5: Speaking of visualization, all of what we spoke about earlier when we connected and probably something we'll touch upon and this whole sort of global journey, in a sense, is also something I visualized. But coming back to the earlier point, I think so much of it has to do with Parents not burdening their children with their ideas of success or with what they can achieve and sort of transfer that on to children. And I see so much of that happening. So kind of start clean slate. You are welcome to do whatever you want to do. And as parents, we will just encourage you and always do in life whatever you are passionate about. And only if you're passionate about something will you be successful and will you enjoy what you do more importantly? And I feel like that mantra that my parents applied to me and my sister has worked. And I I hope I'm able to do that for my children as well. I said that that's what I didn't want to do. Typically in my time, what someone would have done to become a Bollywood actor would have been to take part in Miss India and win the crown. And you win the crown, you come back and you're introduced to the movies. At the time, 15 years ago, that was the way it was done. And I said to myself, even back then, that I'm not going to do anything the way anyone has typically done. I don't want to do that. If that's the way everyone's doing it, I most definitely don't want to do that. When I was an athlete, I knew I wanted to become a model. And somewhere I knew that when I become a model, that movies would happen to me. It's not something I pursued. It's not something I willingly pursued. But somewhere my gut or my my visualization or I think gut told me that someone was going to spot me and that this was going to happen. I just knew it. Intuition, as they say.
4: So tell us about that moment when you were spotted and that journey in from badminton to modeling to film transpired. What was the moment where the modeling opened up that path into film?
5: It all happened very quickly in a span of two, two and a half years. I finished school, I started modeling. I did about two and a half years of modeling, which is actually a very short time, but it was a very dense time. I ended up doing a lot of these fashion weeks and there was also separation at the time and I don't know how it works now or globally how it works now, but you were either a commercial face or you were a ramp face. It was very weird. And I'm someone who ended up doing both things. I was walking the ramp and I was the face of like selling soaps. So in a span of two, two and a half years, it's like I'd become this really famous model or like everyone was talking about, but it happened really quickly. And within that time, I had done the Pirelli equivalent of a calendar here. And um, Farah Khan was the director I debuted with. Saw these this photo shoot, took it to Shah Rukh Khan, who I'm sure at some point you've encountered or you know.
4: Only once. I'll never forget it. But yeah. I went to his house for a party once, which was kind of surreal.
5: So it was that house. And I'll come to that. And so he was doing a movie called Chakde in shooting in Australia, and Farah Khan takes these pictures from this photo shoot and shows it to him and says, She's the face. I found the face. They were looking at casting a new face and a double role, mind you, of one character who's like old world Hema Malini, Vahida uh, Rahman-esque, you know, sort of this old world Bollywood heroine. And the other role was this young, modern Indian woman. And without auditioning me, without ever having met me, she sees these pictures, takes it to Shah Rukh. He says, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, if you believe that she can do what we meet then yeah great and the next thing I know I'm cast opposite Shah Rukh Khan India's biggest superstar with India's probably one of the biggest female directors in my first Indian movie like that without auditioning <laughs> and even today when I meet Farah I'm like what were you thinking and crores and millions and millions of dollars right crores is like in rupees millions of dollars all of which I realized today, not back then. For me, back then, it was just, I was in a cloud. It was a bubble. It was, I was numb. And even today, I'm like, what were you thinking? She just I knew it. She said, you had it. I saw it in your eyes and, and I just knew only your voice because I came from South India and I had a very specific sort of accent, which I've had to work on, you know, over the years. And I'm still, I'm sure I'm my accent still sort of stands out from everyone else's. But she said, I just knew her. you had it in, I saw it in your eyes and I didn't have to audition you or test you. Wow. And and that's it. It's been 15 years ever since.
4: Two things come to mind then. Was it just based on how you look that she cast you in this role? I mean, cause you know, you're obviously also one of the most beautiful women in the world, one would argue. What like Was she just casting you based on your appearance?
5: I think at the time she must have felt like I look the part because as I think as actors, there's always two components to this, right? You need to look the part, especially if you're playing characters and then you have to be able to act. And yeah, I guess she felt like I definitely looked the part. So that's ticking the box. And the acting really depended on her, a lot of it at least.
4: And it depended on you because that's the other part I was going to get to, which is then you had to do the work to train, to act. You know, and some people do this for years or they grow up around it, as we were talking about earlier. You know, they grow up in a family where they're surrounded by the industry and they see the work that goes into preparing for a film like that. So first of all, how did you prepare and how were you feeling at the time? I can't imagine it was <laughs> maybe a bit nervous, right?
5: Numb. it was all a blow even today when i look back i remember it as just like this bubble like it was all a blur and i keep saying to her i wish i could go back in time and relive those moments but as me today when i'm so much more aware i've evolved i've grown if i have the opportunity to do that movie again i'd do this and i'd do that and i'd do it so differently and i'd add be able to add so much more right because i'm self taught as an actor I went to acting school for three months, but I don't think you can learn acting in three months. And so everything that I've, I'm able to do today as an actor is all self-taught. I've learned on the go. And I so I do feel like sometimes I, I really wish I had the opportunity to redo some of those moments and and be able to add and give so much more. But I guess that's what growth is, right? You learn from your past experiences and always try and better
3: Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
2: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. luxury beyond limits experience amazing at your lexus dealer that
4: how was it to be on set with Shah Rukh Khan, who i'm sure you grew up watching on screen like that must have been crazy
2: he hates
5: when i say this i made the biggest boo boo when i was on set because i had to do my first romantic scene with him 15 years ago and i said i was in school when you did dil wale do le jayenge and Farah looked at me and she's like, Dipika. <laughs> you didn't have to say that now in this moment when you're just about to do your first romantic scene with <laughs> Shah Rukh Khan and remind him that he's way older than you. But yes, I mean, that experience and that movie and whatever little I was able to do wouldn't have been the same if it wasn't for his generosity. And, you know, you said you've met him. His generosity is just unparalleled and it, it wouldn't have been that experience so having said that I do feel like I held my own and I am going to take credit for that I do feel like I wasn't starstruck when I was on set I was like okay this is Shah Rukh Khan okay like I, I understand the big superstar that he is that's happened to me even with Amitabh Bachchan of course I understand the weight of Amitabh Bachchan when I but when I'm doing a movie like Piku with him I'm not acting with Amitabh Bachchan. I'm acting with this character that's in front of me. And so I feel like the same thing happened to me with Om Shanti Om, my first film. So yeah, I think a little bit of that maturity, thankfully I've had to be able to handle some of these situations or experiences.
4: And so what was the response to that first film, Om Shanti Om?
5: It definitely has gone down to become one of the most iconic movies in Indian cinema. And I would say that even if I wasn't in it, it's a benchmark for what a wholesome Bollywood movie would be. It's got drama, it's got romance, it's got music, it's got the comedy. It's like it's wholesome.
4: It's that Bollywood formula that the whole family can watch it together.
5: Everyone can watch, absolutely.
4: And everyone can take something out of it.
5: And it still has a lovely message at the end. Dialogues, you know, even today, people remember the dialogues from the movie. But at the time, most of it was positive, or at least I'd like to believe. But of course, there were a lot of people who, you know, who thought I couldn't act and who thought of me as just another pretty face that can't act. I do see the difference today. When I look back at some of my films today and when I look back, I do see the weaknesses and I do see how it required a good producer and a good director to really prop me up. And therefore, I was saying that if I was given that opportunity, the same opportunity today, it would be very, very different. But that was special for that time. And, you know, sometimes you don't want to change things. You just have to let them be.
4: So from that film, obviously, you've gone on to have this like incredibly prolific career. But has being an outsider in the industry impacted or shaped the way you've had to approach your career? that might be different from others who come from inside the industry?
5: Of course, the hustle is much harder. Of course, you've got to wait much longer for the right opportunities. Of course, when you fail, that drop is much harder. And to come up from that is much harder. You don't have people around you propping you up instantly and making it feel like nothing happened. So of course, all of it is a lot more. It takes much longer But also from my perspective, the gratification is so much more because when I look at my journey, it's not just the professional side of things. It was also the personal side of things, right? Leaving my family behind, which is a huge life decision, which I didn't think about or didn't realize the magnitude of that decision when I was 16. But I think about it today and I definitely felt it a lot more until a couple of years ago when I was not married, at least today I come home to my husband, but for the longest time, for 15, 20 years, I came back home alone. So whatever experience or whatever you've gone through in a day, you're coming back home alone and eating alone and you have no one really to share that experience with. Now, of course, do I call my parents and talk to them? Of course, but it's not the same as coming back home and receiving a warm hug from your parents or just being able to sit at the table together and and share a meal, it's not the same. And then having to set up home in a city like Bombay. So there's the emotional side, which is leaving your parents and your sister and your family behind. Then there's the whole having to fend for yourself in a completely new city. And then on top of that, you're getting into an industry that you have no clue about. You're starting off from scratch. But I'm glad that I didn't think about these things at the time. Call it the journey or the privilege. Maybe I have that today to be able to sit back and think about all of these things or reflect. But I'm glad none of these things came in the way or like I didn't think about these things back then. So, of course, it's difficult. You know, when you want advice, who do you call? When you fail, who's going to prop you up? When sometimes you need opportunities to be created. I don't have anyone doing that for me. Today, I create my own opportunities. So, yes, it does make a difference. And it's not to say that those who are born within the industry have it easier or have it more difficult. They, I'm sure they have their own sets of challenges, but that's not my life. This is my life. And I can only talk to you about my experiences.
4: There were moments that were really tough for you too. And you've spoken out quite a lot about your mental health struggles during this journey. There's stigma around mental health everywhere. I'd say particularly... Growing up in Indian families where family is so important. And, you know, we have these units, right? And sometimes it's hard for Westerners to understand just the role that family plays in our life. But people, even within families, don't talk about mental health. And yet, this was a conversation born out of an experience with your mother that really opened up that conversation for you with your own family. What were you going through that you felt? so broken
5: so for those who probably understand mental illness and probably don't even there's no real reason for mental illness right there can be triggers something that happens in my life could trigger it off a large part of it is biological also and chemicals and so what is it primarily it's the chemicals in your brain not being balanced for what your body requires you break it down in a nutshell that's what it is there are biological factors it's triggered by stress and various other factors and so it's interesting because i i didn't know mental illness until i had my own experience and today i'm on the other side of the spectrum which is everything that i do in my life today is about self-care and my emotional and physical well-being and yeah I guess sometimes it requires an experience as visceral as that for you to learn or to grow or to evolve but yeah it just began with this out of nowhere hollow directionless empty feeling like imagine being absolutely okay, but waking up one morning and just feeling like, why, like why, do, why do you exist? Why do I exist? And feeling numb. You can't feel your body. And nothing around you makes sense. You don't want to eat. You don't want to engage with people. You don't want to exist, right? And because it's so heavy and it's such a burden that for me, sleep was my biggest escape. I just felt like if I slept, I could just run away from all of this. I didn't have to deal with it. And this went on and went on and went on. And, and
4: were you keeping it to yourself? Like you weren't telling anyone you were feeling that way.
5: I've been like this from the time I left home, right? Like all the good things I'm, I'm more than willing and happy to share with my family and all the bad things I never do because I always feel like they'd worry. And sure, they're just a flight away. But for all practical purposes, they're still in another city. And so even if it was a fever or a flu, I've always been like, let me kind of deal with it. And I I don't really want to burden them with my not feeling well. And I couldn't pinpoint what it was myself at the time. So what was I going to tell them? I wasn't able to articulate it even. It was just this feeling that I was going through mentally and emotionally and physically. But I didn't know how to articulate it. What was I going to say to them? And I didn't have any understanding of it. So I didn't say anything to them. And I just dealt and dealt and dealt with this until they were finally here. I mean, they were here to visit me. And, you know, I'm sure you've read this story where my mother and I were sitting in their room, the room that they use, and they were packing and ready to go back to Bangalore. And I broke down and she was like, what happened? She thought it was she genuinely thought my secretary left or she thought I was having boyfriend issues. And it was none of these. And it was divine intervention for her in 30 seconds to say, Dipika, I think you need professional help. And I was so desperate at the time because I didn't know what was happening to me. I said, Ma, whatever you think it is, I'm happy to do whatever it takes, but I can't exist like this anymore. I can't. It was just too much. And then the story goes, you know, I reached out to my therapist. She was able to diagnose in my voice that I had clinical depression. She put me on to a psychiatrist and we did months and months of therapy, medication, lifestyle changes. And that's when my journey with mental health and the understanding of mental illness truly began. This was in 2014. Yeah, and I mean, and since then, it's a a huge component and a part of who I am. And at the time, I didn't feel like my journey would be complete if I hadn't shared my story with the world. And, you know, as you were saying, there's so much stigma and there's this taboo around speaking about it or seeking help. I realized that that's exactly how we dealt with it in 2014 when we discovered that this is what it was. We flew the psychiatrist down from Bangalore to come and see me. He'd see me in my home because we didn't want to be seen entering clinics. We'd not told anyone because we didn't want people to talk about it. And no one's wrong here. I think it was fair on my parents' part to say, this is what she's dealing with. And she should decide, you know, whether she wants people to know or not. And I think they as parents were just protecting me. When I recovered a year later, and you know, you reflect and you think, I was like, why did we deal with it like this? you know, if I had a fever or if I was really unwell and a doctor said, you need to get an MRI done, I wouldn't think twice about being seen at a hospital, right? So why are we treating this so differently? All of those questions started popping up. Like why, why do we treat our minds like they don't exist in our bodies? We just treat it as like a different entity altogether. And then my journey towards, you know, coming out, sharing my journey with the world, And it didn't end there because when I did this interview with Barkhadat in 2015, it made me realize that no one in India had spoken about it like this before. And it felt to me that there was this huge burden on our country's shoulders that everyone was dealing with, but dealing with silently. And it was stifling. And it felt like This huge burden had been lifted off people's shoulders where they were like, I could literally felt like the nation, this sigh of relief, like the whole country going, phew, like somebody spoke about this. And that made me realize that just coming out and doing one interview and sharing my journey was not the end. It was the beginning. And that led me to set up the Mental Health Foundation. And, you know, it's been almost what seven or eight years since we set that up. And We primarily focus on destigmatizing mental illness and creating awareness about the importance of mental health, which somehow seems to have become a lot more prominent post the pandemic. Our journeys become so much easier in the last two years, which is fine. You know, this is something we were saying to people pre-pandemic and maybe driving home that message was a lot more difficult. But today, post the pandemic, people realize that you know, self-care is so important. Taking care of our emotional selves is so important. And so we're seeing how coming out of the pandemic has also changed people's perceptions towards mental health.
4: Yeah. I wanted to talk about the last couple of years because obviously without dwelling on it, because I think everyone's sick of talking about the pandemic. But how did the pandemic change you?
5: You know, Imran, Taking into consideration everything that has happened around us in the last two years and without being insensitive to everything that every single person has been through and experienced, I had that experience in 2014 with my battle with depression. And so that awakening happened for me already. And I think that experience prepared me for the pandemic. It didn't shake me up. The pandemic didn't shake me up. It didn't shake me up at that core level. Did it shake me up because of all, you know, everything that was happening around us? Of course it did. People were losing lives, people were losing businesses. So, of course, I recognize all of that. But what you just said, which is it changed people at their very core, that for me happened in 2014. My experience with depression and anxiety made me realize that there is nothing more important than my mental health, my emotional health, my physical health. I need to find work-life balance. I need to do things that help me stay rooted and grounded. So all of these learnings or everything that everyone is learning now post the pandemic, I've been through that experience. and, And I'm glad because it just helped me stay centered through this two years of uncertainty, it didn't throw me off. I was able to stay grounded. I was able to stay centered. I was able to just hold it all together and not lose my mind again.
4: That's pretty incredible because I think about you and I've not met your husband, but I've obviously observed him and seen him. And the two of you seem like these irrepressible individuals with so much energy. And I just think about, and like I said, I don't know Ranveer but like i think about the two of you locked up in a house together bouncing off the walls <laughs> especially him he got he's got so much energy like <laughs> how did you spend you know two of the biggest stars in bollywood in a home together not able to work how was that experience
5: the second wave in india was really difficult for us because we all went through it the first uh, wave that we went through which was in 2020 we had just pretty much just gotten married like a year and a half before that and we we hadn't really gotten any time to be with each other and so we just really got to spend a lot of time with each other we were cooking we were watching shows and pretty much doing almost everything ourselves we had sent everyone back home it was pretty much just the two of us it sounds different because the way we live in india is very different from say the way we live in the US or in the UK, but like doing the laundry and ordering, uh, you know, doing the groceries and cooking your food and doing the dishes. Now, I, I know people do that on their own every day all the time, but the lifestyle in India is very, very different. So just having to do all of that, which I love doing, I enjoy doing, and I have done that earlier when I couldn't afford having help at home. Now I do. Basically going back to the basics. Spending quality time with each other, having conversations, listening to music, and also giving each other that space. But I think pretty much the first lockdown was just spending time at home, doing what I'm sure pretty much everyone was doing, and just figuring all of this out. And the second one was really, really difficult. All of us went through it one after the other. And I think it's scarier when your family or your parents go through it.
4: When you say go through it, you mean getting COVID?
5: Getting COVID, yes.
4: Yeah. And then... You know, The Economist, I think, estimates that 5 million people died in India during that second wave. You look at something called excess deaths. You know, everyone in India knew someone who died. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, I just remember talking to my friends and family and it was like, it was an avalanche of, of grief. How was it living through that? I mean, were you impacted by it and it, it, friends and family?
5: Yes, exactly what you said i think every day there was just news of losing someone and you know weirdly that that hasn't really stopped every day we're hearing of young people dying yeah even today as recently as last week like someone was absolutely fine they woke up they went to the gym in the morning and they collapsed and that's it that's the end yeah yeah Someone went for an evening walk and they just collapsed. They never came back home. The end. And, you know, so it has been a strange time. And yes, it does take a lot to to be able to just stay grateful and to stay centered and to remain sane through all of this.
4: Yeah. The other thing that happened over the course of the last 18 or 24 months or so was an insane avalanche of endorsements for you, right? Adidas, Levi's, most recently Louis Vuitton. Like I'm interested in your theories on what's going on with these international fashion brands. Are they finally realizing there's this huge opportunity in India?
5: I believe so. And I I truly believe I think it's a bit of both. I I feel like it's recognizing India as a market and truly understanding diversity. That's the way I look at it. So I think it's two-pronged or, or, you know. And uh, for me, I'm, I'm grateful, whether it's Levi's, whether it's Louis Vuitton, whether it's Adidas, all of these brands, I feel like, lend so naturally to just my personality.
4: What do you think these brands need to understand about the Indian market? I mean, we were talking before, for example, that India is not this monolithic country where everyone is the same and speaks the same language and eats the same food and has the same lifestyle. Like India is a multitude of cultures, traditions, and peoples. So that's one thing. But if a brand wants to connect with Indian customers, what do they really need to understand about India's culture?
5: I think, A, that it's extremely diverse. It's not one India. It's many Indias. And as Indians, we're also extremely proud of our history, of our culture, and of our heritage. And I think as any of these brands that want to make their presence felt in India, I'd say it's important to understand the core of who we are. Which is? which is all of this, that we're extremely proud of all of our history, culture, heritage. We have centuries and centuries of knowledge. There's the advantage of different languages, of color, even if you break that down into fashion, whether it's color, whether it's textile, whether it's techniques, whether it's fabrics, all of these things. And I feel like if you are any of these brands coming into this country, I think you need to understand all of this and find that sweet spot between who you are as a brand at the core, but also understand this new audience that you're, these many countries within India that you're catering to. And that the Indian consumer today cannot be taken for granted. I would think that that's true of any consumer anywhere in the world, but as an Indian, I can speak for all Indians, and I can say that there was a time when you could come into this country or, you know, and just sell whatever you wanted, and we'd buy it or believe in your ideas. But I think today we have an identity of our own, and we're extremely proud of all of our homegrown brands. And I think the percentage of people who just blindly buy something because it's branded is probably very minuscule, and that these awareness levels have increased. And so you want to be a brand that is extremely sensitive to all of this that's going on within the country and find that balance. I'm not saying forget who you are and just sort of start catering to this new audience. But I think find that balance between being authentic to who you are, but also embrace in the truest sense who we are as a country you know, not because it's, again, a tick in the box or because it's the cool thing to do or because it's a great marketing idea.
4: I have not seen a lot of international brands in fashion or otherwise think of a Desi or an Indian face. You know, what do you think this represents or means for Indians to finally see themselves represented in the upper echelons in global endorsements like these? Which, by the way, don't just speak to Indian people living in India. Speaks to brown people all over the planet, you know?
5: I mean, whether it was me or anyone else, I'd just say it was high time. Of course, I feel really proud. Of course, I feel proud when there's this whole Asian community that's spotting all of these Louis Vuitton hoardings across the world, like right from Tokyo and Paris to Vegas and, and Mexico and you know, sort of doing these pictures of like standing in front of the hoarding and taking their pictures and talking about how proud they are. Of course, that makes me happy.
4: Yeah.
5: It's years and years of hard work and sacrifice and commitment and dedication and, and believing and wanting to do things my way. Like I said, even if it took a little longer, and I'm glad that this opens up sort of this avenue for so many more people more brands, more people, more representation, and to truly feel included. And this is just the beginning. We have a long way to go.
4: Yeah. You know, in December, Chanel announced that its new CEO is an Indian woman. And when we posted that, her name is Lena Nair. I don't know if you've met her. She's amazing. And when we posted that news on our Instagram, the reaction that we had Mm You know, it just made me realize that it's been a long time coming, as you said, that, you know, Indian people are finally taking their position at the table. Yes. And we are finally getting our voices heard. And we're finally getting the recognition long overdue that we're one of the most populous, important demographics, cultural forces, traditions, in the world. And everywhere you go, there's Ayurveda and Yoga. And there's all of these things that come from, you know, even like turmeric. You know, all of these things that we grew up with that are now becoming part of a global culture. And that finally, you know, India is getting some recognition for having made these contributions.
5: And that's only the tip of the iceberg, right? For someone who lives in India, I'm like, okay, so you know three things. You know yoga, Ayurveda, and turmeric. Three things. Yeah. That's literally just the tip of the iceberg. So come on, we have a lot more work to do and there's so much more to to explore.
4: The other day you posted something on Instagram saying nobody is taking care of their souls. And I Googled you this morning because I always like to see like, what's the current conversation? And that quote came up so many times because clearly it resonated with people. What did you mean by that? There was all these photos from that show you did with Manish in Delhi. And then at the, the last slide was this quote. Why did you post that?
5: So because it's just something I believe in. It's something I feel or come across every now and then. And I feel like, especially in this digital age, more and more, whether it's filters, whether it's whatever else, I think there's so much importance being given to one's appearance. And first of all, I want to clarify that there was some article that I read which said post cryptic message. Dipika Padukone posts a cryptic. There's nothing cryptic about it. It's not directed to any one person. It's not like a sneaky comeback at someone who said something some months ago. No, it's none of that. It is just genuinely so much more a part of the self care conversation that we were having, which is it's great. You know, let's let's all go to the gym and let's all focus on how healthy we feel, but let it not only be about how big or small my my waist size is. That shouldn't only be that. Let's also, what you call inner engineering, right? Just Let's also just focus on nurturing ourselves and nurturing our soul.
4: Exactly. All right. Last question. A really important one, which is you're this professional badminton player turned model, turned professional actor, turned... Bollywood icon turned mental health advocate turned now entrepreneur. For all those young women out there, Deepika, who want to reach their dreams, and maybe they don't have that clarity that you had to say, I know instinctively this is what I'm going to do. How do people find that? How do they reach their dreams? Especially these young brown Desi girls out there who look up to you, but of course, for everybody
5: patience if i really had to sum it up i can say a whole bunch of things right like believe in yourself be authentic i think it's all of that and i think everyone knows that but i think the one thing that isn't given enough importance today is the power of patience everything has to be instant everything is instant gratification but if there's one thing that has worked for me has been to be patient.
4: Because good things will come to those who wait?
5: Yeah. And you've got to be consistent. So consistency and patience.
4: Thank you for that advice. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you for your candor. (laughs) Thank you for doing this cover. And thank you for being you. That was just such an amazing chat. I really, and I really feel like I got to know you better. So thank you very much.
5: Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I am grateful and I get great energy from you every time. Again, I don't know if you work on it if, or if you were born this way, but when you speak, there's just so much
1: positivity and you seem- You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store, but did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in store, on social media and beyond. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash B-O-F, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-O-F to take your retail business to the next level today. shopify.com slash B-O-F.
2: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits.
0: centered.
5: So thank you for that.
4: Thank you. That's very sweet of you. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark, Kate Vartan, and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team.